It takes talking to someone like Nick Rose of the Australian Food Sovereignty Alliance to realize food matters everywhere you go. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of January the 9th, 2014. It's easy for us to keep our head down here at the farm and focus on where the weeds are and where the bugs are and what needs to be planted and what needs to be pruned. Um... But it's also fun to take a moment and think globally, which is what we're doing today with our conversation with Nick Rose. He's the national coordinator for the Australian Food Sovereignty Alliance. They have produced a people's food plan that is nothing short of inspiring. It's just a, a really neat bringing together of diverse interests from all over the, the continent down under. And... We thought it was worth sharing with you, so we look forward to our conversation with Nick Rose. I guess I would like to begin our conversation with a rudimentary question. What does food sovereignty mean, and, and why should we care? Uh, well, hello, Lee and Amanda. It's uh, great to be with you, and hello to all your listeners. Food sovereignty really means a democratic, fair and sustainable food system for all people around the world, regardless of their personal circumstances, their income, their race, gender, background or other distinguishing characteristics. It is really about saying that everybody on this earth has the basic right to eat the best possible food that our farmers have the right to be well rewarded for the invaluable work that they do, caring for the land and feeding their communities. And fundamentally that food and farming are important because they maintain the earth, they look after the land and water systems and that they nourish us, and that these things are far and away more important than seeing food and agriculture as simply a form of making money and profit. I guess our main focus is on how your project is developing down under, what you've learned, um, and what advice you might have for those of us stateside who are interested in replicating your good work. Because I noticed that you all, we looked at the website and you um, modeled it heavily, I guess, on the Canadian plan? That's right, Amanda. That was, that was certainly the inspiration for what we embarked on here going back to around the middle of 2012. I guess to put it in sort of a, a longer context, uh, the, the reason that uh, we brought the Australian Food Sovereignty Alliance into existence in the first place in 2010 was in reaction to the Australian government, that's the federal government, uh, their proposal to develop a national food plan for Australia. And that was the first time Australia has had a federal policy um, uh, intended to cover the whole of the food system. So that was... Uh, but we could see, uh, this is uh, going back to July, August 2010, shortly before the federal election of that year, 
that the discussion was taking place within quite narrow parameters, uh, very much within the framework of seeing agriculture and food as being about you know, producing bulk commodities uh, for export and, and seeing food and agriculture as uh, simply another sector of the economy and not uh, having space for a broader discussion and a broader set of questions and values around food and, and farming in Australia. So um, myself and a number of other colleagues were certainly aware that there was in other parts of the world a much broader conversation happening uh, around food and agriculture and I guess me particularly um, I was I was interested in food sovereignty because I was uh, at that time a few years into my PhD research which started out being about human rights in general but became more focused around the human right to food and uh, I became aware of the food sovereignty movement in about 2008 and then went to visit La Via Campesina in Jakarta, where their headquarters were located at that time. They've, uh, as you probably know, now moved it to uh, to Africa. Um, uh, but I, you know, I was aware that there was this big, growing global movement uh, promoting a really different conversation around food and agriculture that Australia wasn't part of, um, and the, the Australia. You know, I knew there were organisations such as the, I think it's the National Family Farm Coalition in the United States and the National Farmers Union in Canada, as well as different farmer um, federations in in Europe, as well as, of course, of, uh, you know, different peasant and uh, people's movements across Asia and Latin America and, and Africa that were part of Via Campesina, but Australia was not involved in that global movement. So I, I guess... Uh, my thinking all along has been to try to integrate Australia into the into the global movement. And you know, when I first started talking about food sovereignty um, and mentioning it to people uh, in the in the regional town where I live, um, where I was living, uh, it was a small town called Bellingen on the mid north coast of New South Wales, a population of maybe three thousand people. And there was a transition, um, a transition town group that had started in 2007. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the transition, um, the transition town um, movement that started in England in, in the mid 2000s. Yes. Yep, um, it's got very close links to the permaculture, um, the permaculture movement and philosophy, which actually. You know that that can be traced back to Australia um, in the late 1970s. Well, I was going to um, say it, it, so you you speak so um, despairingly of the Australian progress in all of this, Nick. But we're aware here in the states that you really wrote the book on permaculture. Yes, that's right. That was certainly uh, David Holmgren and, and Bill Mollison, um, who were quite you know revolutionary thinkers for their times. I guess in the mid to late 70s and. Um, but I, I guess, I mean, and I'm not, I'm no expert on, on permaculture. Um, and you'd be, you know, we, we do have colleagues who've got, you know, much um, uh, stronger groundings in that movement than, than me. And I'm sure they'd be happy to speak to you if you wanted to have a, you know, a, a separate podcast about permaculture and its history um, in Australia and the way it's developed. Um, but what, what happened, but just, you know, fr from a, an outsider's perspective, I guess, in just a few conversations I've had, um, permaculture is is um, 
has achieved an awful lot and and gained um, you know global recognition and prominence and certainly promoted um, you know sustainable more sustainable forms of um, land management and farming um, in Australia it seems to have not made such strong inroads in commercial agriculture but m more in urban agriculture and community gardening and also what's happened is there's been a, a real proliferation of different um, different permaculture groups and there's been um, you know as almost inevitably happens I think with you know social movements and people's organizations as you know politics and personalities get in the way and egos get involved and there's been different you know, different sort of factions and splits um, over the years. Um, and that dilutes and diminishes, I think, the effectiveness of, of the movement. Um, and, uh, you know, that's not to say that permaculture is not still a, um, you know, as a, as a very prominent presence in this country. And uh, um, there are some outstanding examples of permaculture um, enterprises, uh, particularly Milkwood, Milkwood Permaculture, um, just outside of uh, Sydney is... Uh, you know, very well established and does great work uh, training young people in the principles of permaculture design and supporting young people to go into um, into farming which is a desperate need in this country as I'm sure it is um, in the states it certainly is um, I guess the uh, the reason or the thinking behind the food sovereignty alliance and, and the linkage to food sovereignty is that it was a a political move I guess more than anything that uh, that the federal government, as I say, was developing this national food plan that was a you know very much a top-down conversation that was you know seemed to be happening behind closed doors with the leaders of the big uh, the big supermarket um, monopolies and agribusiness um, and and the large peak farming organisation, the National Farmers Federation, which is very much um, embracing of the whole free trade and, and commodity production agenda. Um, so the the Food Sovereignty Alliance was really about trying to articulate at the national level a set of values and principles around which, you know, the different types of organisations and groups um, in Australia, including permaculture and transition and community gardens and farmers markets and, and all the different, you know, elements, I guess, of, uh, of what we're calling the fair food movement here, could identify with and, and see themselves as being a part of. And so that's what we were trying to do. That's the type of um, project that we're trying to advance here. And that's, you know, that's been what we've done with the People's Food Plan and more recently with Fair Food Week is really to provide a an umbrella, I guess, if you like, a sort of like a, um, a framework and, and a set of values and principles around which all the different groups can identify and find a place for themselves within it um, without losing their own identity and their own initiative and their own particular focus. Um, but simply to say, yes, you know, we're part of um, something bigger, um, which is a, you know, which is a project for a, you know, a fairer, and more sustainable food system in this country. And, you know, you've mentioned uh, getting these groups, I guess, on the same page and trying to um, work to influence food policy. And I'm interested in what do you think is the key to the success you've had of uniting uh, such a diverse group of stakeholders? 
Uh, well, I mean, I guess um, success is a relative term, Amanda. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure that you know we, we've, um, you know, we just had a, a end of year um, review um, uh, back in December, um, and we did reflect on the past year and year and a half, and, and to see what you know we've achieved and how far we've come, and uh, you know, we do we do feel that we have been successful, that we have achieved a lot, that we've certainly. Um, you know, made an impact in the national conversation. I, but I guess in terms of actually shifting policy and having, you know, pointing to outcomes that we can say, you know, that, that we actually achieved or were responsible for, I think that's still a ways off. Um, uh, although, having said that, uh, I think where we're seeing change happen and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know enough about the situation in the United States to say whether it's true there or not, but... Um, at the level of local government here, um, there are a number of councils that are now adopting, you know, different types of food policies and food security policies and supporting urban agriculture and, uh, you know, responding to the uh, pressure, I guess, that's coming from the community garden groups and, and others uh, who, who want councils to take a lead. And I think because that level of government is close to the people um, and maybe at least in this country it's not so bound up in the party political system often our elected councillors here are independents they're not they don't actually belong to a political party um, so perhaps that gives them more freedom of action uh, than would otherwise be the case if they were you know sort of formally part of the party structure and had to go along with its you know its particular sort of platforms you had mentioned about the states. One thing we've experienced over here is it's um, it's such a diverse political as well as geographical landscape that there are some areas where we have um, some positive responses similar to what you're doing. I would say Vermont, uh, probably Oregon, you know, states where there's Northern they, California. Northern California where there's a lot of um, environ environmental interest as well as uh, interest in um, the slow foods movement but, but in then Alabama, on the other end of the spectrum you have people like uh, us in Alabama where there is uh, relatively little attention being paid to these issues right yeah I mean the, the yeah it's such a huge country that you live in isn't it and so diverse and and so large in terms of population uh, compared to Australia so I guess you know uh, geographically we have certain challenges and from an organizational perspective that presents its difficulties in terms of actually you know, having people together uh, on a face-to-face -face basis, which I do think is important, and certainly that's been part of the success of Via Campesina globally, I think, that they've always paid attention to bringing people together physically. And, you know, while I'm, you know, it's great to have our new technologies and it makes conversations like this possible, um, I still don't think there's any replacement for actually being physically present uh, with people um, in a room in terms of trying to build relationships. So. In terms of, um, and, and also in working through, you know, difficult issues and difficult conversations across, you know, cultural or language um, uh, barriers. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, I guess that's one um, observation. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I guess we don't quite have the, you know, the, the diversity of, um, you know, uh, political systems and, and, and cultural traditions and histories that, that you have over there that must make um, doing the kind of thing that we've been doing 
more challenging and more difficult. I, I did I did notice that there is a United States Food Sovereignty Alliance that came into existence um, a couple of years ago, and I think they've actually had some, you know, they've had some assemblies or some meetings. Uh, I'm not quite sure how active they are or or what they're um, what they're planning to do. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, as, as we started off saying, um, what we did with the People's Food Plan did draw quite heavily on the Canadian experience. Um, and and that's, uh, I think what w was, what worked for us, what made it possible is that unlike Canada, where they did have some funding, they had a, a grant of $250,000 or in that region to employ a, a coordinator and to hold some national conferences and pay for travel and those kinds of things. We didn't have and, and still don't really have any financial support. Um, so what we tried to do was to tap into the existing networks and just really put out an invitation to the food movement to, to get involved. And, and it was really quite experimental just to see what the response would be and see what kind of appetite there was for this kind of initiative. So I guess that's been one of, you know, going back to your question, Amanda, about our success, I guess that's been um, you know, that has been quite heartening and has been a success to, to see that the response has been positive and that there is a desire for, you know, this kind of initiative, this kind of conversation. And that was reaffirmed through the Fair Food Week initiative, which again was very experimental and uh, really, uh, again, having, you know, very little in the way of financial resources, but uh, trying to tap into, you know, the existing networks and um, farmers markets and community gardeners and, and so on to see what kind of response we would get with that kind of call. And yeah, it was it was successful. We had, I think, about 112 different events with maybe 15,000 people participating across the country. And what it said to me was that there's a real uh, desire, I think, for people in general, uh, and particularly people who are kind of socially aware and, and active, um, uh, that often in the context of food and, and food activism, it tends to be quite local or even micro-local in your own particular neighbourhood or community. Um, and I think one of the uh, lessons uh, that I can take away is that um, while we would no, in no way want to impede or hinder people continuing to do what they're doing, there does seem to be a desire for many, amongst many people and many groups to want to be part of something larger than their own particular group and to identify with a, a larger project and, and movement. And I guess that's, you know, my understanding of what building a social movement is all about, really, is, is creating that sense of that you are part of something bigger than yourself and bigger than your own particular group or initiative where it is that you're living and and where you work um so uh you know that's that's i guess a um a, a real lesson that that i can take away from the you know the, the the experience that we've gained so far um and it does show that even if you don't have the financial resources to to do something like we've done if you can create enough goodwill and um, uh, create a set of, you know, um, uh, you know, tools and resources that the people can sort of identify with and and, and find a way to participate, that um, you know that that can, you know that that can really take you um, 
you know, further along the road that you that you want to travel. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, so it's you know, it's it's still it's still quite early days for us, I suppose. We've only been in existence since two thousand and ten, so it's not, you know, it's not a a, a long time. But um, I guess the reflection that we had a month ago was, uh, and I was explaining this to some new colleagues who've just joined our national group, um, that there were a couple of sort of key decisions um, or step changes that we that we made at certain points. And, and one was really the decision to go from being a movement that was focusing on responding and reacting to the federal government's agenda with the national food plan to then say, well, we've, we've done that and it's only taken us so far and they don't really seem to be listening or really wanting to engage seriously in terms of a dialogue with us. So we can feel empowered and enabled to start setting our own agenda. And I guess that's what the People's Food Plan process was about. And we were fortunate that, you know, that the trail had already been blazed, so to speak, by the Canadians with the, the People's Food Policy Project. So there was a kind of like a template and a model that we could look to as to you know, how it might be done. Um, so that was a real, you know, the decision um, to go from being, as I say, a, a more or less reactive um, entity to one that was proactive and agenda setting was really crucial, I think, in terms of, you know, keeping our own momentum and creating a sense of dynamism. And then also uh, about six months into that process, we also made a different decision to we were at a kind of like a crossroads where we could either go deeper into that process as a research project and form working groups and and delve into you know particular issues that had arisen um, and and become more internally focused or we could decide to be more external and outward focused and it was an election year and and we wanted to sort of be active and to be visible so that was the point at which we made the decision to um, you know, just open it out and open the invitation to anyone who wanted to organise activities around, you know, the, the vision that we were trying to create with the People's Food Plan. And so that was the genesis of Fair Food Week. Um, and I think that was another crucial, um, you know, turning point for us in terms of our own, you know, success and momentum. Well, it's just very impressive what you've been able to accomplish because uh, despite your modesty about um, at first you're at least you're hedging saying it's successful successful but then the more I hear you talk the more I'm thinking it is successful you are definitely um, at the base at the foundation of a grassroots movement that it sounds as if is going to have an impact and and we hope you and your colleagues understand that Nick you are to be congratulated and thanked profusely for your good work Oh, thank you very much. It's very kind of you to say that, and uh, certainly very affirming, you know, to, to receive that feedback from, you know, from yourselves, um, uh, you know, from uh, uh, where, you know, from the work that you've done. And I know, you know, you've you've got much longer, you know, um, experience in in this area than than I have. So it's, uh, I guess, I guess. Um, yeah, what I've been able to bring, I suppose, is is um, a perspective of being looking at looking at this from the global level. I've lived a number of years outside Australia. I spent many years in the United Kingdom, and then lived in Central America for quite a number of years, um, from 2000 to 2006 in Guatemala, 
and I guess that you know that was right my real kind of awakening I suppose in terms of understanding or, or reaching a better understanding of, of how um, you know global power structures are formed and man maintained and um, the, you know seeing uh, the history uh, talking to people in Guatemala and understanding the history of a country like that and um, you know deep inequalities around questions to do with land ownership and and who controls resources and how they're used and for what purpose and um, really shaped my thinking and, and I guess I brought that back to Australia when we returned here in 2006 and I've always um, you know always wanted to look to what's being done in other places including the United States and try and develop some kind of synthesis and integration of all the great things that are happening around the world and um, you know, very, and, and that's one of the things I really like about food sovereignty, that it is very much a international uh, movement, um, but that it does allow for, you know, local grounded um, creativity and, and innovation um, and local ownership. Um, so it's, you know, it has got that, you know, that, that real kind of blend, I think, which is what's required at, at this time. Now, I think that blend's um, very important, and we appreciate your sharing your perspective that you've gained from being able to travel and live um, in other cultures and observe other ways of doing things and to get the global perspective that you have. And for those who are not able to do those, uh, either that, that kind of traveling or have not been made aware of that global perspective, um, what you're doing is invaluable, invaluable and we really appreciate your uh, sharing your time with us today. Thanks, Nick. That's... Uh that's uh, no problem at all, Lee and Amanda. Really nice to talk to you, and, and thanks for having me on your show. And I um, uh, wish you all the best for 2014 and, and to your listeners. Well, and the um, same to you. Same to you. Uh, have a wonderful start to your new year, and we will look forward to uh, perhaps uh, communicating with you in the future, and certainly we'll be keeping up with what you're doing there in Australia. You think we could ever bring off something like what Nick is doing here in the deep south of the United States? Well, I think we have... A beginning with something like ASAN. Um, the Alabama Sustainable Agriculture Network. Thank you. Yes, sometimes I speak in abbreviations. Or um, Southern SOG. Or River Region Food Policy exactly. Group, which is uh, our niece, Sky Borden, is the director of that. So, you know, the whole idea of you know, think globally, act locally definitely holds true and I am trying to be optimistic that we could. Fun to talk to somebody like that and realize that there really are some real opportunities for meaningful change to happen. Thanks for listening to us. Hope you have a great week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.